Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Shear, the host of Refuge Freedom Stories. Today I have a very special guest with us. Jeremy Woodley is an entrepreneur and has written a book called Jeremy Jesus and the Beatles. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing great tonight, Dave. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. Glad that we could connect and, and you could tell your story today. I'd love to. I understand that you had an answered prayer after 13 years. Yeah. Um, you have a beautiful wife and you were married during COVID. Yep. That's pretty amazing. Let's go back and start at the beginning for you. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm born and raised in Brantford, Ontario. Two loving parents. And my mother is from Six Nations. My dad right from Brantford. And the Woodleys, the heritage comes from Waterford. I came into the world March 14th, 1976. Two loving parents. They had a place together. My aunt from Ottawa even said, they look like you guys had it made. Yeah. They were both music lovers. They were both partiers. Mm-hmm. Alcohol runs rampant on both sides of the family. He was a barroom brawler, street fighter, an awesome guitar player. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually the fighting and the brawling and the the arguments with my mother when they were drinking started to take their toll. Two years later, the Lord started tugging at my dad. So he got saved and he became a Christian, started following Jesus. And he waited for my mother to turn around. And she was a believer. She was. She gave her heart to the Lord when she was a kid. Yes. And thankfully, I found that out before she died. Just at the time, she had a hard time living it out. And so eventually they parted ways. And then so it was my mother took me with her. For many years, she was a single mom, it was just me. I did have great family relations with my aunts and uncles and cousins. But the party life would get a hold of her. Mm-hmm. In the mid-80s, she married my stepfather. And he was mean, abusive, physically, emotionally, mentally you name it, he was. Yeah. My mother, despite many, many people begging her not to and warning her not to, she decided to marry him anyways. Mm-hmm. They went on to have four children together. My dad, with his marriage, they had three, so I've got seven half-siblings, and I do get along well with all of them. <laughs> so yeah. <that's>, yeah. <laughs> I'm the oldest of all of them. Yep. But it just seemed after my mother's marriage, I never got to see my dad anymore. So there was a lot of lost years in between there. We get to the 1990s, and I always used to say, I'm never going to drink, never going to do drugs. Mm. But, you know, say never, say never. Well, famous like, last words, eh? Famous, exactly. Yeah. I was 14, I was offered a beer, and I thought, oh, what the heck? Yeah, me and him joined them. That was one thing. It wasn't peer pressure so much, because I was one of the first amongst my group of friends I grew up with to get into it. So it was always accessible. Like There wasn't a weekend that went by, there wasn't a alcohol in the house and the cops being called for one reason or another mm-hmm. but i had my beer and i liked it then from that point on every time i was offered i never turned it down yeah i started with one and then the two then the three and then the more often i would drink and the more i could consume and eventually over the next decade it just snowballed so for several years like i was a high school dropout when i was in high school i didn't apply myself yeah and i worked peanut type jobs and i babysat my siblings a lot so i actually had a hand in raising them. Yes. Like, my responsibility when I was a kid myself? That's a heavy load. It really is, because I'm trying to be a kid, and I have to look after other kids. Yes. So then when I'm around my friends who are at school, people think I'm a I'm a class clown or immature, but it's, I'm just trying to be a kid and have fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I go down with I was one of those, too. <laughs> oh, hey, man, brother. 
<laughs> yeah. So then as years went on, I couldn't see my family as much because the stepdad, like one by one, it's like he chased them away. It was almost like the ants start coming over. Basically, that's what happened for the next several years after that was just pain. There was just emptiness, insecurity. We lived in an environment where we're just always walking on eggshells. You never knew when he was going to turn. Sort of the classic elephant in the living room, eh? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then we're all laughing, having a good time one minute, the very next minute trashing the house for the slightest reason. Yeah. That uh, continued on. Then we get into 1993, 1994. I started experimenting with acid and then marijuana. And once I got into that, my alcohol started to kick in even more. I'd even left for Winnipeg and back just to get away from it. Went to Winnipeg? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Winter time to boot. Wow. (laughs) Desolate Winnipeg, yes. That's how bad I wanted away from the stepfather. (laughs) Oh, that says a lot right there. Oh, my Aunt Merle had moved out there a few years prior to that. I lasted all of six months there. I ended up coming back to Ontario. I ended up going back to high school, got my grade 12. In the one year, I graduated with honors and won three awards. Wow. And in the graduating year, I graduated by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by then, I got to know everybody. Everything else I used to dabble in was increasing. Yes. And, it, and then I was into the morphine and Percocets by then. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because mother and my stepfather got access to them. Everything started snowballing from there. And then by the late 1990s, early 2000s, we're into the white stuff. And the next thing you know, my mother lost the kids to CAS. I was working at a Tim Hortons in my hometown of Brantford by then. I was running a room. They were on their own downward spiral. I was on mine. Yeah. But I was keeping it together at first. Like I had my own place. I was working. I was a kind workaholic. Functional. Yeah. Functional workaholic. That's yeah. one thing with workaholics were workaholics. Yeah. <laughs> I was working five and six days a week. And in a combination of days, afternoons, and nights in the same week at Hortons. That was very lonely. You know, single guy. I by this point I had like lost contact with all of my childhood friends. I wasn't seeing any family at all. Yeah. And then basically only contact I had with the acquaintances I met through my mother. I was kind of like hanging out with more so my parents' friends. Yes, yeah. And then we get to the spring of 2000. I, that's when I started to hit my bottom. I turned mm-hmm. 24 and I started to lie still and cheat for my employer who at this point like a second mother to me. She wanted to see me get help first. So we went to the Hamilton Men's Detox. I went for five days, uh, set up for me to go to Simcoe and Holmes' house. But after my five days, I just went back to Bramford and started up again. That was right near the halfway house, Federal Halfway House, isn't it? The detox, yeah. It was on yeah. Main Street there. Then I think yep. the Federal Halfway House was like, I want to say three or four blocks over. Yep, really close. But I'd gone back to Bramford and kind of picked up where I left off. And then within two weeks, I lost my job. And then by then, I was done for. I had no money, no income. So I spent a couple months just begging, borrowing, stealing just to get my fix. Where were you living? I was in Bradford then. Yeah. I was back, back home with my mother for a bit. A few nights, I had to stay whoever would take me in. But one night, I spent the night in my buddy's car. Car door was open, so I helped myself. and slept in his back seat. Oh, my. Yeah. Woke up with a stiff back and neck the next day. Yeah. I couldn't get comfortable at all. Then that's when I started, like, what happened to me? Like, this is not a life at all. How did I get here, right? Right. Just a couple months ago, I was working. I could have gotten help. And what happened was I kept asking myself. What happened was uh, by this time, everybody's had it with me that that's knows of me. I actually ran into it. What happened was I ran into a, a co-worker of mine. So she invited me to go talk to her and her boyfriend, who had become a friend of mine at the time. Yeah. And they said to me, dear, you can say you want help till you're blue in the face. We could tell you you want help to Yeah, you need help tell your blue in the face. Until you go and do it, it doesn't mean a thing. And they said, don't worry about Carrie. Don't worry about anybody. Just go get help. 
if you want help that bad, you'll go tonight and get it. So I left. They wouldn't take me in. Uh, that's okay. I get a place. But it did hurt. But at the same time, I understand why they didn't. And now I'm glad they didn't. And so I made my way to the Brentford General. And then I explained the situation. I was in detox two months prior to that. And then so they phoned the detox. They agreed to take me back in. They paid for a taxi to take me to Hamilton. And wouldn't you know it, the taxi driver that ended up taking me there... Well, yeah. he used to pick me up and take me to work at Tim Hortons. Yeah, an older fellow named Alex. He goes, well, what happened to you? <laughs> so I'm sharing with him on the cab right down. And when he dropped me off, like he said, don't worry, kid, you're going to be all right. Uh, you just hit a bump in the road. You're going to be all right. Kind of affirmation there, eh? Yeah, from a least likely source. For some reason, I've never, ever forgotten that. Yeah, then Detox brought me in. And this is like 3 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, June 21st of 2000. And at the age of 24, and I have, I've, been, I've been sober ever since. Wow. How many years is that? 21. Holy moly. 21 this Monday. Congrats, bro. That's beautiful. Thanks, bro. Yeah, I never, from that point on, I've never drank, taken drugs, or even smoked a cigarette since. Yeah. So the recovery part starts in the detox. I go to bed, they give me the detox pajamas and the, what they used to call Reebok, detox Reeboks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I go to sleep, get up the next morning, have a shower. One of the staff there, he remembered me from two months prior. His name was Steve. He was a big, huge, burly guy. Oh, he tore a strip off me, went up one side, down the other. <laughs> Using the, the infamous four-letter F word to get his point across the whole time. <laughs> you think you are what do you think this is and he was, <laughs> what the f what yeah <laughs> you're not gonna be like these other ones coming in and out of here you interest in you yeah like as, as as upset as he was he also mm -hmm. wanted to see me he goes you're young enough to get out of it now right a couple of them really really went to bat for me because from that point on i participated in groups i was helping with dishes and meals and cleaning up i wasn't always the eat and race to the tv and all that yeah. and i started going to na and AA meetings on my own like they didn't have to force me to go i started going to and i was really like them every time i went i felt better i felt encouraged while i was in there i came across a pamphlet called gene b house and it was based on one sound so i'm reading it over and the one counselor there his name was sheldon he said to me they had just happened to send a couple of people within the last year or two prior to me being there and the one guy goes he would come up every summer anyway so he's like yeah they've got good results they, they how they run things is very good he goes nice was like well i'm a single guy at the time single guy i have no family connection whatsoever nothing to my name the clothes i got are just what's on my back i had not, like absolutely nothing by the time i got to detox i was starving i stunk set of clothes same flip-flops <laughs> so i was like why not the gene b house and owens and they agreed to take me they just asked a detox to hold on to me for another week usually you're only about five to seven days in a detox mm -hmm. all special circumstances arise and in this case and many went to bat for me. They said, well, look, if you send them out, you might lose them. Because there was a couple of them that were saying, well, we don't do that for anybody. Why should we for him? It was like, well, he's also the one that's showing he wants to change his life. He's got a place to go. Yeah. If they've got a bed for him, why, why should we send them out? So luckily, the manager at Detox ruled in my favor, and so I was able to stay. And so I just kept up with going to meetings and helping around there. And then, yeah, a couple of guys really, really took a shine to me, so that helped. And then I went to call my employer the night before I was leaving, but she refused to call, call but a couple of people, so that's actually good that she did. And as for my friend that tore a strip off me, I actually shook his hand and thanked him for it before I left. <laughs> because I think, you know, I look back, it's like I needed that. Where I think nowadays, they don't get that too often. I call that angels with hard shells. Hey, that's a good one. Yeah. 
Now, just before I came to Owen Sound, three days prior, it was on a Sunday. There was a fella, I remember his name, Gordy, and he invited me to an outdoor picnic with his church gathering. Of course, I had to get the detox after approval, and they knew who the guy was. So they said, okay. And it was a some park in Oakville. It was outdoor. It was five baptism. All adults. They were baptized, full immersion. They sang to him down by the riverside. And it just seemed the minute they were baptized and brought back up from the water, I could see how they were new. And I thought, okay, if I ever got baptized, this is how I'm going to do it. Never, ever forgotten that. That was a couple of days later, I left the detox to come to Owen Sound and Gene, the Gene B house. And 21 years later, I'm still in Owen Sound. <laughs> <laughs> you could do a lot worse, man. Lots of time. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I'm just wanting to go get help. We had a great group of guys I was in there with. I mean, it wasn't always easy either. Like, well, like any place, right? You get a group of men under the same roof. There's bound to be conflict from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, eh? We had a good fun group for the most part. Five of us went on to a year sober. And then um, but what you say is unheard of. Yeah. And then only two out of those five, 20 years later, remained sober. Yours truly and my buddy Paul. He now works. He's a full-time worker there. Yep. I was working there as a staff lead for several years. He's actually one of my grooms at my wedding, but I'll get into that later. So, yeah. And then I made the same core of friends. I stayed in the home for seven months. Yeah. A, any meetings there. And then for six months, I lived with a roommate that went through the house. And half the time he was out, which really helped. So, but then I found my own apartment and I ended up living there for 19 years. But it was a place for me to call my home. Yes. Yeah. And it allowed me to establish myself, get rooted in, my, uh, in the community here. At the time, my rent was 400 inclusive. Well, back in 2000, 2001, that was the going rate for places. But- <laughs> yeah. Well, even with the rent increase, I, I had the best deal in town for all these years. That was another reason why I stayed in that apartment as well. So now you were baptized at this point? Not yet. So what happened was 2003 is like a really pivotal year. I'm a few years sober. I wanted to take the PSW class. In order for me to do that, I had to you know, take the first aid CPR, make sure I had a clean police check and all that stuff. Well, a couple of things came up when I hit my bottom there a few years prior. And so I had to deal with it. So all I really had to do was pay off two fines and then do 60 hours of volunteer work. Yeah. During this time, and they said I could do an Owen Sound, which was great. By this point, I was also reconnected with my dad. And it turned out they had a ministry in Brantford. So mm-hmm. I started going to the church they were uh, serving at. And then that's how we reconnected. Then from that point on, every time I've gone to Brantford, I stay there. Every time I'd go to their church and I loved it. Well, the 60 hours community work I had to do, well, you talk about God working mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. I got to do them at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church here in Owen Sound. They needed help in the kitchen with, with dishwashing with the Alpha Group. And then youth group, every Tuesday and Thursday, they, were happy, they had me aboard. I told them what I was doing. They said, oh, well, we don't hold your past against you. The main thing is you're here and you're turning things around. And I even by then, like I wasn't a Christian, but I did believe in God. One time, I must share this, given the title of my book, I was at Gene B House, and Mix 106 used to have the classic cafe on, and I had this little radio in my room. So Let It Be by the Beatles came on one afternoon, and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I had a tear in my eye. Yeah. Because it came at a point where I was ready to leave the house. The guys were getting on my nerves. I was uh, I'm in my head with my own thoughts and stinking thinking. The Beatles were my favorite band. And, uh, yes. That particular song spoke to me at that moment in time, and it has on many occasions since then. It just seems Whoa. to come on when I need to hear it. So a little while later, I got thinking, well, God must be giving me a second chance. If I'm here at 24 years old and my family's still struggling, mm-hmm. and, and I had already lost a few people, I knew to alcoholism too. So 
Yeah. And my mother nearly lost me during pregnancy. So I was, and she lost one after me. So the reason I'm still around. Now we fast forward back to 2003. About a month into helping with the alpha, started taking the service on my own. I shocked everybody one day when I did. And then I liked it. And um, I liked how they treated me with so much love there. So now I'm going to church. And part of reconnecting with my dad, too. His oldest sister, my Aunt Karen, was up at Miller Lake in the Bruce Peninsula. And her daughter, my cousin Shandon, were in the area. My dad says, well, you should get in touch with them. And I did. And it turned out they were Christians at the time, too. I had no idea. And that told me I'm an AA and starting going to St. Andrews. So I, I started to have like family like Christmases and Thanksgiving with them. And I remember one year they got me a, a CD as a gift. And I think, oh, that's nice of them. They got me a Beatles or Neil Young or somebody. Well, they got me Michael W. Smith, and I never heard of him. And then my birthday comes around, same thing. And this time it was uh, Steve Curtis chat. So, and I actually played these CDs and I loved it. This is quite the turnaround from how I used to be. We get into 2004, I actually started taking the Alpha course after I finished the Alpha season helping with dishes and with youth group. I then took the Alpha course and became a small group leader at youth group. Yeah, so then I was taking Alpha and I could, that's when I could really feel God tugging at me. Yeah. And with, you know, going to church, plus going to AA, I could see like how the 12 steps were biblical. Yeah. And I could see like very like similarities between the AA fellowship and Christianity. So I started the piece to two together. And then finally, I went home to Brantford. I got a job at Community Living Owen Sound and I was working a lot of like weekends and nights and all the holidays and stuff. When I was a student, I, I graduated the PSW class and then I was going to try my hand at nursing. So one year I knew I had to work Christmas Boxing Day. So I'd gone to Brantford to see my dad the week before. But Friday, December 17, 2004, my dad was telling me about the term born again. They asked me what I was doing that day in the boat of the resident visit family. Saw my cousin in the morning, made my way to the reserve, and I was going to my grandparents' tombstone in particular. Yeah. I went to the tombstone and I called out, help me be closer to God and Jesus. Well, I had been invited into the church to have a coffee with them. This couple had pulled in behind me when I pulled into this church parking lot. Yeah. yeah. I was okay, I can have a coffee when I'm done my uh, visit all back. So I went and have a coffee with him. I was talking to them. Then the pastor came walking in. I told him what I've been up to. And then I had said that I'm in a I'm going to church for a year. And he says, you know, Jesus is your greatest healer. I says, yeah, I know. And that's when he led me to the Lord and I was saved. Wow. Christmas 2004. Yeah. So I got home and was telling my dad and Tanya. And, and that's when he started to tell me more of his side of the story with what happened with him and my mother. Yeah. I saved. So that was really good. And from that point on, the Lord's been healing and transforming me from my childhood hurts and traumas. The forgiveness toward people who hurt me in the past. My mother was really happy when I got saved. And then I started serving with kids' ministries and youth groups and ushering. 2014, after a period of burnout and depression, that's why I started my business, the Woodley Care Services, providing home care for the seniors and special needs individuals. My mother died 20, November 26, 2016. She had taken cocaine laced with fentanyl. That's what killed her. A little more than a year after that, when I was inspired to write my book, Jeremy... Jesus and the Beatles. Nice. And that explains in detail like my childhood, the upbringing, more in depth of, you know, when I got saved, a lot of what I shared earlier a few minutes back. And then it also has pictures of people who have inspired me. Like I got to meet Roger Hodge the Super Trump, Brett the Hitman, Hart, Mitch Marner, Johnny Bauer of the Leafs. So a lot of uh, walked across Abbey Road barefoot and all, which is always wanted to do. Yes. It goes to show people like no matter how you start and what's happened to you, you can overcome all of that. Your dreams can still come true. Absolutely. The Lord can make it happen. So God has made a lot of stuff happen in your life since you've accepted Jesus as your savior and you've written a book. You, you're helping people all over the map with your ministry, your company. Unreal, man. 
if you could say something to people listening today as a bit of advice or, you know, to share your faith, what would you say? I would say never, ever give up because you just don't know like, when your answer to prayer is going to happen. And it doesn't matter how, what you've done, how far you've gone. There's always a way back. That would be my, like, just never know. Like, 2019, I was a single guy. I had given up thinking I was ever going to get married. Well, I got not only engaged, during the pandemic, I got married, became a father, and moved out of my apartment all at once. Like, just uh, like that. Yes. Just like that. When I look back, like, I would say to people, you know, the Lord's got a purpose for you. And if you're still alive, and if you feel I'm tugging at you, don't resist. Bring him into your heart. Follow his ways. Sure, there are bad days and bad moments, and nothing's totally perfect, but hey, life's been amazing since I've become a Christian. I mean, from the heroes I've met in person to the many I've seen in concert, like that all happened in my recovery. That never happened while I was drinking and partying. Yeah. Just uh, the relations I do have with my family now, how I can see the glass half full. Even when people like to judge others, I can see good in them, even when others don't. Yes. So we, the Lord gave me the eyes and the heart of compassion. That's awesome, man. I, I got to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And I'm hoping to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm hoping and praying that this will go out to people, touch their hearts, touch their spirits. Jeremy, thank you again. You're welcome, David. Well, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Awesome, man. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Hear my cry, Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry Higher than
hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.